You're listening to the Van Moody Podcast. Our passion is transforming the world by transforming lives. In today's episode, Pastor Van Moody shares the importance of letting go of yesterday in order to embrace what God has for us tomorrow. Let's get started. And so I want you to open up your TWC app and follow along with me because I want to talk about taking the next step. And I want you to start by joining me in Deuteronomy chapter 1 and in verse number 1. In Deuteronomy chapter 1 and in verse number 1, it says this. It says, these are the words of of Moses, the words that Moses spoke to all of Israel in the wilderness, east of the Jordan, that is, in the Arava, opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, uh, Laban and Hezroth and Dizhab. It takes 11 days, this is important, to go from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea by the Mount Seir Road. But in the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses proclaimed to the Israelites all that the Lord had commanded him concerning them. This was after he had defeated Sihag, king of the Amorites who reigned in Heshbon and Idri, and at Idri, and had defeated Ah, king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtoreth, east of the Jordan, in the territory of Moab. It goes on and says, And Moses began to expound this law, saying, The Lord God has said to us at Horeb, You stayed long enough at this mountain. That's important. Break camp and advance into the hill country of the Amorites. Go to all of the neighboring people in the Araba, in the mountains, in the western foothills, in the Negev, and along the coast, to the land of the Canaanites and to Lebanon, as far as the great river, the Euphrates. See, I have given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to their descendants after them. I want you to listen very, very closely to me because this is more than just a message. This is in many ways a declaration that God wants you to understand as you move into 2018. Now, many, many years ago when I was a high school student, I had an AP English teacher who taught me that a great research paper always at least cover the who, what, when, where, and how. That if you're going to write a great research paper, that you at least have got to cover those bases, who, the what, the when, the where, and the how. Well, in the book of Deuteronomy, that's exactly what Moses is doing. In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is not talking to the generation that he led uh, out of Egypt in the Exodus. In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is talking to the children of those that he led out of Egyptian slavery. You do remember that the generation that he led out of Egyptian slavery, because of their lack of faith, because of their disobedience, they were doomed to have to wander for 40 years in the wilderness until they all died out. And so in Deuteronomy, Moses is not talking to the same group that he led out of Egypt. He's talking to their children. As a matter of fact, this is what the word Deuteronomy means. Deutero means second, and nomos from the root word meaning law. So Deuteronomy is literally a second telling of the law. 
And so now Moses is getting ready to die. Moses is not going to be able to go over into the land. And this is his swan song, his farewell address, if you will. And he opens the book of Deuteronomy talking to the children of those he led out of Egypt. And in essence, he is saying to them, I want to give you the who, what, when, where, and how. I don't want you to, to try to move forward without understanding what happened, how it happened, when it happened, and what happened. And one of the main things that Moses points out is he, he literally tells this generation, the children of those he led out, he says, and I want you to understand where your parents got stuck. This is why he says, and the Lord's told us, we, we've circled this mountain long enough. This is why he says, and from, and from Horeb, which is also called Mount Sinai, where Moses got the Ten Commandments, to Kadesh Barnea. He says it. It's only an 11-day journey. Meaning that from the moment that, that they got the Ten Commandments, that they, that they understood from God how they were supposed to live in relationship with Him, he said that it was really only about 11 days that should have transpired. And if you know your history in your Bible, you know that it was when they got to Kadesh Barnea that Moses sent the spies and 10 of them came back and said, we can't do it. And it was in that moment that God said, okay, since you don't trust me, since you're going to be disobedient, you spend the rest of uh, the time wandering the wilderness. Moses says to the children, it literally only should have taken about 11 days. He says, but, but your parents got stuck. He says, and God literally said, you circled this mountain long enough. But you now have the opportunity to take the next step. This is what Moses is saying to the generation. Unlike your parents that got stuck. And that happens often in life. We get stuck. Sometimes we get stuck for a variety of reasons. Sometimes we get stuck because of success. Success can make you lazy and you spend so much of your life pointing back to your glory days and looking at your past through rose-colored glasses because if you're not careful, even good things, success will make you lazy and you'll get stuck. Sometimes failure can lead to you being stuck because sometimes failure makes us so fearful. Well, I've tried that and it didn't work out. And so inevitably we get stuck because out of fear we don't want to try again. Sometimes success will lead you to be stuck. Failure will lead you to be stuck. Sometimes it's, it's frustrations and disappointments that lead us to just be stuck. Because, you know, I, 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 I opened my heart, or I reached out, or I tried to do something, and I was hurt, or I was disappointed. And, and often because of that hurt or that disappointment, we make it up in our mind, well, I'm never going to try to do that again. And we end up stuck. Moses is saying to this new generation, the children whose parents have died out in the wilderness, he said, let me tell you where, where, where your parents went wrong. They got stuck. And they spent 40 years going in circles, 40 years hanging out in one place. And let me ask you this as we close 2017 and as we are preparing to move into 2018. Can that be said of you? I want you to be honest and reflect on your life. Maybe it was this year or maybe, maybe it's been previous years. Have, have you gotten stuck? 
What mountain have you been circling over and over and over again? Here's another question. Where exactly did you get stuck? Where, 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 where did, did you go wrong? Where, where, where did it happen? What was it that, that led you to a place where you said, you know what, I'm just going to put my life on autopilot. I'm not going to try. I'm not going to launch out. I'm not going to take this next step. Where did you get stuck? Be honest. Because more than age, more than position, and more than possessions, Spiritual maturity is really about movement. Let me say it again. More than age, you know, a lot of people think that if they're older and they've, they've been around Christ for some time, that it means that they're mature, and that's not necessarily the case. More than, than age, more than your position or status in life, and more than your possessions. Spiritual maturity is really about movement, meaning that you continue to follow as God leads. And there is no age limit. God doesn't say, okay, you've reached 62, and so I'm done with you. No, 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 no. God continues to beckon us forward. And that's why spiritual maturity is really about movement. As a matter of fact, even uh, take a look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, and and, and this, this is uh, kind of the seminal chapter, uh, seminal verses, if you will, about why God established the church and, and what his will is for us. And it literally says, so Christ himself gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and teachers. Why? Why did God establish uh, those, those positions, those offices in the body of Christ? Jesus says to equip his people for works of service. So that the body of Christ, notice the language about movement and growth, may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and here it is again, and become mature, attaining the whole measure. Notice the language. It's about movement. It's about growth. And attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, he says, here's an indication that you know you're on the move. Here's an indication that you know you are maturing and growing. Instead of being, being tricked and bamboozled and, and, and being just, uh, you know, run amok by what people say and what people do, he says, instead, we will speak the truth in love and we will grow. To become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Beyond your age, beyond your position, and beyond your possessions. In a very real way, spiritual maturity is about movement. In other words, God doesn't want you to be stuck. He wants you to continue to follow him. And you see the symbolism all through the Bible, in particular, even with how God is leading the children of Israel, even with the exodus. Every piece about the Exodus, it is God saying to the nation of Israel, follow me. Come on, don't, don't, don't get stuck in Egypt. Don't, don't get stuck in your identity as a slave. That's not who you are. Follow me. Even in the, even in the Exodus, God says, I'm going to provide a pillar of fire by night, a cloud by day, because I want you to follow that as I'm taking you someplace. What is God saying? F follow me. Follow me. Don't, don't get stuck. Keep, keep moving. And even as they, as they exit out of Egypt, God tells Moses, now I need you to build a tabernacle. 
The tabernacle is just an Old Testament picture of Jesus Christ. Even the tabernacle implies movement. You have the outer court, the brazen laver, the brazen altar. All of that represents where we start in our journey with Christ. All of that in the outer court points to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Then you progress into the inner court. What do you have in the inner court? You have the candlestick. You have the altar of incense. You have the table of showbread. All of that points to developing a relationship with Holy Spirit. It is through Him that we're guided into all truth. That's what the candlestick represents, the light of Jesus Christ. Prayer, praise, and worship can't effectively happen without a relationship with Holy Spirit. That's not where you start but as you progress as you move you go deeper in God the fellowship of the brethren the unity of the body of Christ that's what the table of showbed represents that that your journey in Christ ought not be one-dimensional you ought not as you grow and mature only like to be around certain groups of people and certain races you got to understand that the body of Christ is the body it is for all people everybody is welcome to that table and then you go even further into the holy of holies where the presence of God is and, and all of that implies movement. There are no chairs in the tabernacle because you were never supposed to stop moving. And so the exodus implies movement. The tabernacle implies movement. Even the way that God feeds the children of Israel, all of it implies movement. He says, he says I'm, I'm going to rain manna down from heaven. But here's the thing. You only get what you need for that day. Because if you take more and try to hold on to it, the man is going to spoil on you. Because God is saying, in essence, I don't want you trying to live off of yesterday's stuff. I want you every day to say, God, where are you? Where's the man going to fall today? All of that implies movement. Incidentally, this is why our process that we want everybody in our church to go through is called growth track. What is, what, you don't stand on a track. You, you move on a track. It implies growth, movement. Incidentally, we have been working behind the scenes, and I'm so excited. In, in February, the first Sunday of February, we're going to reveal a brand new system of growth track. And so we're not having growth track in January because we're going to be training and retooling and getting it ready. And we're going to roll out the red carpet on, in February. So, so, so excited that if you haven't taken growth track, if you took it and forgot about it, uh, if you think that you're too old and you don't need to take growth track, you need to take growth track. Look at somebody around you and say, you got to get in growth track. You got to get in growth track. So, so now Moses who was a part of the Exodus. Moses, who was a part of building the tabernacle. Moses, who was there when God would rain manna down from heaven. Moses, who cannot take the next step, is now talking to the generation of the children that he led out of Egypt. And he's saying to them, please don't make the mistake that your parents made. He is saying to them in Deuteronomy, whatever you do, don't stop moving. He's saying to them, in other words, take the next step. And he goes on and says, but because, because what God has promised you is still available to you. That, that land, that, that promise, meaning, meaning, I know you all feel like because you were not born uh, as slaves as your parents were, I know you may feel like you've arrived. 
He's saying, but the promise that God has for you is still available. You were not supposed to live in this wilderness forever. He says, in other words, you haven't attained all that God has for you. So take the next step. And the reason I want you to key in on this is because this is the word of God for you, for you, for you. This is the word of God for us. As we prepare to step into 2018, to take the next step. Don't get stuck. Get unstuck if you're stuck. Take the next step because you haven't attained all that God has for you. You haven't attained what, everything that God has for you spiritually. You haven't attained everything that God has for you re- relationally. It doesn't matter if you look back on your 2017 or earlier and you see success. It doesn't matter if you see failure. It doesn't matter if you see frustration and, and hurt and disappointment. The truth is, you haven't attained all that God has for you. Spiritually, professionally, maritally, e- economically, you, you haven't attained everything that God has for you. This is why the word of the Lord for you is to take the next step. Take the next step. And if you're going to take the next step, There are four critically important things that you have got to do in order to take the next step. There are four critically, critically important things that you've got to do if you're going to take the next step. And you see Moses telling them to take the next step, but you see them taking the next step when you open up the book of Joshua. Because Moses, the most that Moses can do is go to the top of the mountain and look over and see the promise. But it's that generation that Joshua leads that actually steps into it. How did, how did they do it? I'm glad you asked. Look at Joshua chapter 1 and verse number 1. And listen to what God says to Joshua. It says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses is aid. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Why is this important? Because the first thing that is critically important if you and I are going to take the next step is that, number one, you got to let go of what you can't take with you. You, you, you got to let go of what you can't take with you. Well, What are you talking about? Verse 1 of Joshua 1 is very, very important because in that verse, God is pointing out something that is extremely significant, but he's doing it by being redundant. He's pointing out something that's really important, but he's doing it by being superfluous. What what, what do I mean? Go go back to verse 1. You'll see it again. It says, after the death of Moses, the Lord spoke to Joshua and said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Did I say it too fast? After the death of Moses, God shows up, and the first thing he says to Joshua is, hey, Moses is dead. You missed it. Moses has already died. But then after Moses died, God shows up and says, hey, Joshua, Moses died. You you missed it. Okay. Um, Moses is dead and buried. And after he is dead and buried, God shows up and says, newsflash, Joshua, Moses is is dead and buried. God doesn't say this for information. Everybody already knew that Moses was dead. 
God doesn't say it for information. God is saying it because Joshua's got to let it go. He's not saying it for information. He's saying it because, because Joshua, there has to be separation. Joshua knew that Moses was dead. But the issue was that Joshua had not separated himself, had not let go of everything that used to be Moses. And so after Moses died, God shows up and says, hey, uh, uh, Joshua, Moses is dead. Because in order for Joshua to take the next step, there had to be a letting go of yesterday. Please, I want you to hear me. In order to take the next step, there has to be a separation, a severing, a letting go of the things of the past. You got to let go in order to grasp hold to your future. You, you got to let go of the past in order to grab hold of your future. Th this is why letting go of separation is the most important first step in you taking your next step. Because if you really want something new, you got to let go of something old. And hear me, this is a fundamental principle of life. It's fundamental. Doesn't matter your career, doesn't matter your profession, it doesn't matter your occupation, none of that matters. This is a fundamental principle of life. As a matter of fact, this is why in Deuteronomy 34, this is not in your notes, but this is why if you read that later as we read through the Bible every year together, in Deuteronomy 34, you will notice that God actually gives the children of Israel a time limit for them to weep over the death of Moses. Moses dies and God gives them 30 days to weep and to mourn over the death of Moses. And he says, after those 30 days, y'all got to get to stepping. He gives them a time limit. Why? Because you will never be able to move forward while you're still holding on to something old. And there's an interesting story even in another book of the Bible, in the book of Jude. It talks about how, how, how the archangel Michael fights with Satan because Satan is trying to get the body of Moses. So watch this, Moses dies, and God won't even allow the children of Israel to hold on to the body. God is the one who performs the burial and the committal of Moses. Moses dies, and God takes the body. Why? Because I really believe that God knows that if we were able to hold on to stuff Sometimes we would either set up a monument or a tombstone to where we've been. Um, if it was good in the past, we set up a monument to it. Oh, remember when? If there was something that bad that happened in the past, often we set up a tombstone and just talk about it and circle it. And so Moses is dead, but God says, I'm not even going to allow y'all to have the body. Because if I let you have the body, you will never move on. And please hear me. This is where we stumble. Why? Because we do want, we sincerely want to possess the new. But at the same time, we want to hold on to the old. And you can't do both. Jesus says it this way in John 12 and verse 24. He says, very truly I say to you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. What's the point? Something has to die in order for other stuff to live. You cannot have Joshua 
and Moses at the same time. You, you, cannot, you cannot have the promised land and Egypt at the same time. You cannot have John the Baptist. This is why he was beheaded. You cannot uh, follow two heads. A, double, uh, a double-minded man is unstable in all their ways. John the Baptist has to be beheaded because you can't follow John the Baptist and Jesus at the same time. You, you have to let go of, of something in order to embrace what is in front of you? Have you ever seen? Have you ever seen um, a trapeze artist? Have you ever been to the circus and seen you know a trapeze artist? You know those are those artists that swing out. You know, and and the thing about a trapeze artist, how many of you have ever been to? You've been to the circus. You've seen you've seen a trapeze artist. The thing about it is that that trapeze artist that swings out, that they have got to let go of the bar that they swung out on. Mm. in order to grab either the person or the bar that is coming towards them. And for a brief moment, they don't have anything to hold on to. But if they're going to really grab the hand of the person that's swinging out to grab them, they cannot grab their hand and hold on to what is behind them at the same time. And here's the thing. If you don't let go, a trapeze artist knows if you don't let go, you're going to lose momentum. Because, yes, it'll swing high the first time. But if you don't let go, it'll slowly slow down. And every time it swings, it won't go nearly as high as it did the first time. And I'm teaching to you because that, that's really a picture of your life. You're swinging, but you're just barely moving. What are the things, think about this, what are the things of your yesterday? What are the things of your 2017 that have no place in your tomorrow, in your 2018? And I I ask you to really key in on this because I don't want you to just say amen. I I want you to really think about this because these are the questions that God, he's asking you these questions. Do you know what they are? Have you written them down? What are the things of your yesterday that you cannot take into your tomorrow? Earlier um, this year, around the beginning of the fourth quarter, because what I normally do is about the six-month point of the year is when I start praying for next year, right? And so about the six-month point, about June, July, I start praying and, and I did. I started seeking the Lord and, and fasting and prayer and just really saying, okay, God, what are you saying for, for your people, for the worship center for 2018? And the Lord, Lord said, take the next step and show me this passage of scripture and begin to reveal things. And so what I did was I shared it with our ministry team. First thing I did was I shared it with our ministry team, shared this is what I hear the Lord saying, shared it with our board and all of that. And then I challenged all of them. I said, now, here's the thing. There are doors that God is getting ready to open, and there are new things that God is going to call us to do, but at the same time, we can't do the new things if we're going to continue to do all of the old things. And so I challenged them. I said, so here's what I'd love for you to do. Let's take an honest assessment and an honest look at our ministry. Let's look at what we do well and what we don't do so well, and then let's have the hard conversation about the stuff we need to stop doing. And they had, they had some knockdown drag outs. And it was a series of meetings where people were vying and saying, no, we got to keep doing that because we've always done that. And, and I'm not saying that to talk bad about them because what they came out of that with was a great plan forward. 
But my point is, just like our ministry team did that, just like sometimes there there's some tentious kind of uh, conversations that you have to have, that's the same thing you got to do with yourself. What What is it that you cannot take in the 2018? What is the stuff in your past? What's the stuff that happened in this year, maybe other years, that you just cannot take in the 2018? You got to do the work to figure that out because... You will hold on to your history at the expense of your destiny. The Lord, in 1 Samuel 15, even says this same thing to Samuel. It's 1 Samuel 16 and 1. God sends Samuel to, to go to David's house, to anoint to Jesse's house, to anoint David. And Samuel is still mourning because of Saul's failure. And the Lord said to Samuel, how long are you going to mourn for Saul since, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? He says, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. God shows up and says, hey, Samuel, all right, enough, enough. Stop weeping over the old. Press into the new. Samuel was weeping and mourning because he loved Saul. Saul was his homeboy, and Saul blew it. And God shows up and says, how long are you going to weep over something old? He says, fill your home with oil, get to Jesse's house, because there's something brand new and exciting that I am doing. See, as long as you still hold on to your Saul's and weep over your Saul's, you will miss the new David moves that God wants to do in and through your life. Okay, let me see if I can explain it this way. Look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 38. Look at Romans 8 and verse 38. Many of us are familiar with this verse. It says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angel nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, when we see that verse, or those verses, often we get excited and say, yes, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Okay, great. But hold on, there's something left off that list. Go back over it. He says, for I am convinced neither death nor life, okay, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us, neither present nor the future. What's left off that list? The past. The past is left off that list. Why? Because the past can separate us. From, okay, uh, Joy, come, Minister Joy, come up here really quickly. Let, let me explain it to you. I know I asked you guys to listen very intently, but I want to make sure you, you've got this. So, so Minister Joy, and I hope the cameraman can get this for the other campuses, come up just a little bit more. So, so here's, here's what it looks like. When the Bible says that God is the Alpha and the Omega, when it says that God is the beginning and the end, or even Isaiah says he is the Ancient of Days, here's what it means. It means then... That because God is the beginning, God is already, um, he he's, he's creates joy, creates his purpose for joy's life. This is what he says to Jeremiah, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I, I knew you. Uh, the Bible says that God knit us together. So he creates joy. He is the alpha. He says, joy, I got a purpose for you. 
I got something significant that I want you to do, and that's why I created you. There may be something called accidental parents, but there are no accidental births, right? So God says, I got a purpose for you. This is your alpha. This is your beginning. But he's not just the alpha. He's also the omega, right? So he runs then ahead and works out every detail of Joy's life, even her end. Then what he says is, I'm going to give you my word, and I want you to follow me. I already know what's up here because I worked it out. I want you to follow me. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and light unto my path. The, the steps of a good man or woman are ordered by the Lord. He says, I want, you to, I want you to just keep following me. Good. Now, here's what happens, though, when we obsess over the past. When we obsess over the past... It's not, not here in the Word, so the Word is no longer in her hand. She's obsessing over the past because there was something in the past that maybe hurt her, disappointed her. But notice, I, I'm God in this scenario. Who has she turned her back on? It is not that God will ever leave us. Jesus says he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. It is not that God leaves us. Often we turn our back to him. And what you're saying is that there's some hurt, some frustration in my past that's more important to me than the future you have for me. So he says to Joshua, hey, hey, Joshua, turn around. Moses is dead. Then he says, I will give you every place where you put the sole of your foot. Meaning, you cannot follow in Moses' footsteps. We already know what's behind there. We already know what Moses got. If you follow in Moses' footsteps, you're just going to get what Moses got. We've already been there, seen the movie, done that. He says, but every place where you put the sole of your foot, that word soul literally means that, that you're barefoot. That means you, you do have to take these steps by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. But, but you got to know that God is saying, what I got up here for you is so good, Joy. Just keep, come on, come on, keep walking, keep moving. Just keep moving because what I have for you is better than anything that's ever behind you. Thank you so much. Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? Let, let, me, hur let me hurry up. This is a, a special kind of Sunday morning service, and I want you to get all of it, so let me do this. Number one, you got to let go of what you can't take with you. But here's the next thing. You have to see yourself differently. You have to see yourself differently. The very next thing that God says to Joshua is that he confirms Joshua's new place and position in life. In verse 5 of Joshua 1, he says, As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. The message version, I love it. Uh, the message translation says, in the same way I was with Moses, I will be with you. So in order to take the next step, first, you got to let go of what you can't take with you. You got to do some things differently, forge different paths. But secondly, you got to see yourself differently. See, for the last 40 years, Joshua was just Moses' understudy. Joshua was in the background. He was just his aide. He, he wasn't out front. 
He was behind the scenes. Even when the, the, the nation of Israel get to Kadesh Barnea and he sends the spies. Remember, Joshua is, is out, of, out of the 12. It was only Joshua and Caleb that said we can do it. And the voice of the 10 drowned them out. So Joshua, for the last 40 years, was in a different role. It was a different season. He was behind the scenes. And, and please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. There's a, there's a time and a place to be in the background. It's important to be a team player. It's really significantly important to be a student or a mentee. All of that is important. But if you are not careful, your season will change. Everything around you will change. But the way you see yourself won't change. Meaning, when you don't know your value, when you think... That, that, that you are only at this place and, and that the best I can do is to, is to be an understudy to, to Moses. When the season is shifted, you will miss it. See, when you don't know your value, it's really easy to recognize greatness in other people while at the same time overlooking the greatness that God has placed in you. God says, I am with you, Joshua. Not less than I was with Moses, not kind of like I was with Moses. He says, just like I was with Moses, I'm with you. See, a real big barrier to taking the next step for many people is that we pray prayers like, like this. Lord, mm, I, would you bless me like you bless so-and-so? Or would you do it in my life like you've done for so-and-so? Anybody ever prayed prayers like that? Or we think things like, man, if I could have what they had. Or, or we think, well, you know, uh, I, they, they, they didn't have the hurdles that I had. If I didn't have all of these hurdles, then I could have been just like them. Or I could have accomplished what they accomplished. And whenever you pray that way, whenever you think that way, what you end up doing is discounting and undervaluing who is with you. Please understand that who you are and what you have is good enough because God is with you. You can take this next step, whatever your next step is. You can take it because God is with you. And can I tell you something? You absolutely have to know that God is with you because as you take your next steps moving into 2018, there will be some times when it will feel like nobody else is. You got to know that God is with you because there will be some times, trust me on this, as you move into 2018 and what's in front of you and, and where God is leading you, as you take these next steps, you got to know that God is with you because there will be some times when you feel like there's nobody else with me. There's a reason why some of you can't find leaders in the area where God is calling you is because you are the leader. And, and let me tell you something, the view the view is different from the front. The, the view is a whole, oh, okay, I wish I could teach this like I feel it. How much time do I have? The view is different from the front. It's different. from. from I, remember, I remember one time um, we were taking our kids. We were going somewhere, and, and it was one of those times where we got on the plane, and the, and the cockpit door was open, and the stewardess, you know, our kids were really young then. Uh, they're still young now, but really small. And the stewardess said, would you like to come into the cockpit and meet the pilot? And so, sure enough, Eden and Ethan went in there, and, and then, you know, they had the little, got the little wings or what have you. And, and then, you know, we found our seat, and we sat down. And I said to Ethan, I said, uh, hey, man, how was it? I said, oh, it's so cool, man. You get to see, see the pilot. And, you know, I'm, I'm just pumping it up. I said, how was it, bud? He said, that looks different up there. 
said, what? He said, that looks different up there. And I just dismissed it. And the Holy Spirit reminded me of that. See, what he meant was he was used to sitting in a certain section of the plane where he could look around and look behind him and he see people around him, you know, and get peanuts and stuff. But in the cockpit, the cockpit is small. It's small. and It's not really much to look around at because the biggest thing is the windshield in front of you. In the cockpit, you spend more time looking in front of you instead of looking, looking around you. And while it may be small and tight and you're the only one in there, maybe you and another mate, what you do in there affects everybody else. I used to think there's a scripture, there's a scripture in Luke 9 and verse 62 that says no one who puts their hand to the gospel plows. One translation, one translation says the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom. And I used to think, I used to think that, that only meant that if, if you get started with what God has called you to and you just walk away, then you're not fit for service, right? But, but that verse also means that when you put your hand to it, it's not necessarily that looking back only means you give up. It also means that sometimes we can look back when we put our hand to it and we want to make sure we have everybody's approval. Is this right? You like what I'm doing here? Is this good? Is this good? You see that? You see? You see how I got this? You see that? You, you. So God says, no, nobody who puts their hand to the plow and looks back, even for approval. You see me? Is this good? You like how I do this? You you applaud me? You pat me on the back because I'm doing this? Nobody who does that is fit for service in the kingdom. What does that mean? You cannot be addicted to the approval and the applause of people if you're going to take this next step. I'm almost done. Number three, live courageously. Live courageously. You've got to let go of what you can't take with you. You've got to see yourself differently, but you've got to live courageously. Joshua 1 and 6, notice what God says. He says, be strong and courageous. Because you're going to lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Then notice what he says in verse 7. Hey, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law that my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Now, he says it in verse 6. He says it in verse 7. Then he comes right back again in verse number 9. And he says, have I not commanded you? Be strong. And do not be terrified, one translation says. Another says, do not be afraid or do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Why does God say it three times? Because God is aware of how important courage is to Joshua's mission, to your mission, to your ability to take the next step. God is also aware of how destructive and devastating discouragement can be. He had a front row seat watching Moses become disqualified because of discouragement. Got so frustrated and so discouraged that he got outside of the will of God, struck the rock when God just said, speak to it. Guy had a front row seat. The man that he called and sent to do a task he had to disqualify him because Moses got discouraged you know what discouragement is discouragement is like the leukemia of the soul see just like leukemia kind of attacks um, our life 
giving power of the blood that's in us. That's what leukemia does and how it replicates these bad leukemia cells. It ends up crowding out and choking out the life-giving power of your own blood. Well, that's what discouragement will do if you allow it. If you're not careful, discouragement will attack the life and choke the life out of your God-given passions and pursuits. I've seen so many people Give up on what God called them to because of discouragement. I've seen more people disqualified and destroyed by discouragement than anything else. This is why courage is so important. Courage is like the anchor for every other aspect of your life. When In Hebrews 6 and 19, when it says we have this hope that's an anchor for our soul, that, that's what encouragement does. Courage, it, is, it, it anchors your life. When you have courage, everything else is easier. It's easier to step out when you've got courage. It's easier to hang in there and not give up when you've got courage because it anchors you. This is why God says it three times. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. The word of the Lord for you as you move into 2018, be be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. And you know what I've realized? We read through the Bible every year as a church. And you know what I, I realized? The more and more we just read through the Bible, I've realized that God is drawn to courage. God loves courage. You know that list in Hebrews? That, that we call the heroes of the faith, you know, by faith Enoch and by, by faith Abel and by faith Noah. And it's just, this is by faith Abraham. And Hebrews 11 just lists all of these people that did all these things by faith. You know, the truth of that is, yes, they, they, they lived by faith. But these are individuals that didn't live flawless lives. These are individuals who, who were not perfect. But, but instead of them being perfect, and flawless because they live flawed lives by faith. Abraham, I mean, you know, I mean, he lied about his wife, flawed life. But the reason they make that list is because all of them lived by courage as flawed and as imperfect as they were. They lived by courage. You know, many of the people listed in Hebrews 11 wouldn't even be accepted in many churches today. Moses killed a man. I mean, Tamar, Rahab, former prostitute, they're on that list. But even though they probably wouldn't be accepted in many churches today, God accepted them. God favored them. Why? Because they were courageous. I've met people who've lived perfect lives. I've met people who fixated on crossing every T and dotting every I. And the sum total of their life was that they lived off of the stale bread of yesterday. While at the same time, I've met people who, who were as flawed as the day was long, but they were courageous. And the hand of God was upon them in an indescribable way, not because they were perfect, but because they were people of faith and they lived courageously. Isn't it interesting that we serve the lion from the tribe of Judah? Yet so many believers look like the lion from the Wizard of Oz. We serve the lion from the tribe of Judah. But yet many believers live like, look like, act like the lion from the Wizard of Oz. You know, he looked the part on the outside, but on the inside he had no heart. He had no no courage. Where is the courage 
of real believers who know that, that all things are possible to them that believe? Where's the courage of real believers who know that nothing is impossible for our God? Where's that courage? And if you can't say amen, I hope that I make you so uncomfortable that you get unstuck. I hope that I make you so uncomfortable that you take the next step because you got to live courageously. And as I'm closing now, here's the fourth and final thing. We're going to close in a special way today and then I'll hand it off to our campus leaders. Make the commitment to see the commitment. So how, how, do, you, how do you take your next steps? What are the four critically important things you got to do to take your next step? you got to let go of the things you can't take with you. You have to see yourself differently. You have to live courageously. But here's the last thing. you got to make the commitment to see the commitment. you got to make the commitment to what? See the commitment. Drop down to verse 16 of Joshua chapter 1 and notice what it says. Then they answered Joshua. Then they answered Joshua. Then. They answered Joshua, whatever you commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. This is the nation. Then, the very last thing that happens, that's why it starts off with then. The very last thing that happens is that the people come to Joshua and and they say, we're with you. You tell us where to go. Tell us how to do it. We're with you lock, stop, and barrel. It only happens, though, in the end. They don't say this in the beginning. They don't say this, chapter 1, verse 1. They don't say this until Joshua has let go of what he can't take with him. They don't say this until Joshua begins to see himself differently. They don't say this until after Joshua begins to live courageously. And when he makes the commitment, ultimately, he sees the commitment because the people say, all right, we got you. Let's go. See, another big reason why we often get stuck and we fail to take the next step is we, make, we, we kind of make these conditional statements. So we live conditionally. Well, well, okay, Pastor, I hear what you're supposed to say, you know, what you're saying, and I, I know what I'm supposed to do. But, you know, when I see it in my husband, then I'll, then I'll do it. Or when I see it in my family, then I'll, I'll, I'll do the same thing. When I, when, I, when I see it in my small group, when I experience it on the job, then I'll do it. We, we live this conditional reality. Like, like, when somebody else does it, then I'll do it. No, no, you have to make the commitment in order to see the commitment. You, you have to do it. You have to demonstrate it. You have to make the commitment. And when other people realize that you are taking the next step, that you are committed to demonstrating that consistently, then what will happen is they will join you, they will support you, and they will follow you. Because what's in your heart is in the hearts of other people too. But the truth is they need to see strength in order to find strength. This is, this is so good. What's in your heart is in the hearts of other people, too. But the truth is they got to see strength in order to find strength. Oh, okay. Let me explain it this way. My wife and I are committed to healthy eating, healthy living, notwithstanding the cakes and pies and stuff over the holidays. Yeah, right? but, but we're committed to healthy living. But here's the thing. She never has to twist my arm about eating healthy and working out, and I don't have to twist her arm. Why? Because when I get up at 4 a.m. to have my time with the Lord, when I'm at the gym or doing my run at 5 a.m. or 6 a.m., she knows that. She hears me getting up out of the bed. 
And, and, and when I do it consistently, not when I just talk about it, when I do it consistently, it plants a seed in her that God waters and ignites. So, so my behavior, the commitment that I make, plants a commitment in her. And likewise, there are days that I don't want to get out of the bed that early. And when, I, when I'm tempted to roll, roll over and just and sleep in, she gets up at a certain time, 5 a.m., and she, she does her run. And so, and so when I want to sleep in and she gets up to do her thing, what does it do for me? It convicts me. It challenges me. Because you got to make the commitment in order to see the commitment. Does anybody hear me? This won't affect everybody. There are some people whose hearts are hardened. And God will have to deal with them another way. You don't have to worry about trying to convince them. Did you hear what Pastor Van said? You know, you no, no, you, you don't, no, no, you, no, no, no. You don't have to. You don't have to worry about doing that. This will impact the people though that you're called to walk with. It will absolutely do that. The people who are called and assigned to walk with you and labor with you, it it will it will impact them. Why? Because people don't commit to weakness or instability. They commit to strength, and they commit to courage. And strength and, cu- and courage, can I tell you something? Doesn't need to be communicated. You don't have to say, I'm, I'm really strong. Oh, you don't have to communicate strength and courage. Just demonstrate it. When you demonstrate it, other people will follow. So th- think, about, think about Abraham for a second. Genesis 12, God says, leave your family, your father's house, leave everything behind, go to a place where I'm going to show you. Where am I going, God? I'll show you. Just pack up and leave. Abraham says to his wife, hey, so um, it's been great being here at dad's house and around his land and stuff, but the Lord said, we, we got to go. We got to take the next step. Imagine what Sarah said. He said, what? I'm sorry. Where are we going? Oh, you don't know. You don't know, Abraham? You think I'm just going to follow you and you don't even know? You don't even have a plan, boo. But he, he packs up. He said, well, I, you know, you, you decide what you want to do, but I, I, got, I, got, I got to do this. Packs up everything, and he rolls out. Who rolls with him? Well, I don't want to stay here by myself. She rolls with him. The Bible says that as they went, he became exceedingly wealthy. There's not a day that, that went by when, when Sarah didn't look around and say, well, my goodness. When we left, we didn't have a whole bunch, but my, look at the Lord. (laughs) Bible says God shows up one day and says to Abraham about this time next year, I'm going to return and your wife is going to have a child. Sarah's in the tent cooking. Over here is God speaking with Abraham and laughs. (laughs) Whatever. God approaches Sarah and said, why did you laugh? Oh, I, I, I did laugh. God said, don't, don't lie. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. He said, everything that I said is going to come to pass. She's like, mm, okay. All right, God. Abraham comes in the bedroom one night because she's old. Doctors have said that they have well past their years. Abraham comes in the room one night and says, all right now. Can you, can you imagine what she was thinking? Oh, Abraham, now you know. Come on now. I know you know God and all that, but you know how old I am, whatever. But as he continued to unroll, 
What, what, what did she do? Well, okay, if you insist. What happened? Isaac was born. What am I trying to share with you? You got to make the commitment to see the commitment. Hundreds of years ago, there was a British preacher who was on the revival circuit. And he was preaching, and he made this declaration to the church and the crowd that was in front of him. He said this. He said, the world has yet to see what God will do with and for and through and in and by the person who was fully and wholly committed to him. In that congregation was a young man by the name of D.L. Moody. I don't know if we're related or not. I don't know. But D.L. Moody was sitting in that crowd, and those words pierced his heart, as I'm hoping that this message will for you. And he made a commitment that day that he was going to commit everything to the Lord. By the late 1800s, D.L. Moody's preaching was a part of the catalyst that brought a great awakening and a revival not just to Britain, but to the world. And centuries later, millions of people are still impacted by his commitment through Moody Bible Institute, by uh, Moody Radio, Moody Publishing, the Moody Church in Chicago. Centuries later, millions upon millions of people around the world are still impacted by his commitment. God used him in an amazing way. But it started with him making this commitment. Here's my question for you. Why not you? We hope you enjoyed this message from Pastor Van Moody. For more information about Van Moody Ministries, please visit vanmoody.org. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed week.